Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Late last week, the Department of Labor released new guidance regarding the implementation of the Transparency in Coverage Final Rule and sections of the Consolidated Appropriations Act. This guidance, a series of FAQs, provides an updated timeline for when these policies will go into place, just as NHU requested. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy is here to discuss the changes that these FAQs have made. Hello, Marcy. It's been a while since we discussed the transparency rule on this podcast. So can you briefly remind folks what this final rule does? Sure, Dan. And you're right. It's been a while since we've discussed the transparency and coverage final rule, but it hasn't been a while since we've discussed transparency. And it's become a bit difficult to be able to decipher the differences between a lot of the different transparency rules and statutes. So here, when we're talking about transparency and coverage, or TIC or TIC, I'm going to call it TIC. So TIC was a final rule that was passed under the Trump administration. It went after the transparency for hospital final rule. So it's different from that transparency rule. Again, it's starting to get very difficult to tell the difference between all of these. And TIC was focused more on plan designs and different plan transparency when we compare it to what we saw in the hospital transparency rule. So with this, it was things like trying to make it more clear exactly what the cost of different things were, looking at ways to provide information and data to the consumer to be able to compare prices between different services and different service providers. Also for plan issuers and employers to be able to provide certain information back to the departments in these machine-readable files. So this was largely focused on a lot of the data elements and being able to compile those again with the focus on trying to make this a more consumer-friendly or consumer-focused process. Although oftentimes with our comments back to the departments on this, it was, okay, so you're trying to get all of this information to consumers, but are you doing it in ways that data will be something that can actually be used by the consumer to have a better outcome? So if it's, if it's not really in a form that you and I can process and be able to actually make the best choice for ourselves, is it worth all of this? Much of the requirements in the transparency and coverage final rule were set to go into effect January 1 of 2022. 
And we have been following this along very closely because of some of the requirements on plan issuers and employers, and also following along with the the benefits it could possibly bring for consumers. Although a lot of the, the data elements that we've been following, the different stakeholders that are involved haven't yet either gotten the instructions to be able to comply with this or haven't had enough time to put the technology together to be able to comply with this. So even in our comments back during the Trump administration, when this was a proposed rule, we did suggest that a a longer timeframe would be preferable to make sure that all of these different processes were in place to actually be able to comply and, and again, make it something that's valuable to the consumer. So the timeframe was already a concern as we were heading into this. And then I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how the requirements in the CAA were layered on top of that with the tech provisions. The timeline certainly was a concern. And so the headline here is that the implementation of several measures included in this rule and the CAA have been delayed. So what role did NAHU play in the department's decision to delay implementation of these components? Dan, we were definitely a squeaky wheel in this one. We have been pointing out, again, not our opposition to the goal of these rules, the rules in TIC and the the statute, the law in the CAA. And again, the CAA is that Consolidated Appropriations Act from the end of December 2020 that we have been discussing at length almost every week. There's a different section of it that we're talking about. And we'll break down some of the sections in a few minutes that are applicable here. So our role here, as we've been commenting on all of these, again, not opposing the the policies and the provisions that they're trying to put in place with TIC or the CAA, but trying to be realistic. So there's, and I've discussed this with some of our working groups, there's what's on paper and what looks like can happen and and looks really great in theory, but then there's also the realities of compliance and how long it takes to put some of these pieces together. And so in all of our letters on TIC, which was one letter, and then we have submitted several letters on the CAA as we have been awaiting regulations and guidance to happen as a result of that statute. We have submitted letters on the pharmacy benefit managers issue, on employer disclosure issues, on surprise billing issues. And with all of them, we have gone through and gone through the different policy aspects and the mechanics of how all of this works. But also we have cautioned And these were all letters that were sent in the spring and summer of 2021. So within six months of the bill passing, in all of those letters we have cautioned, you gave a one-year implementation deadline. And at the time when our letters were sent, you know, it's almost been six months. And how these things are supposed to be implemented haven't been provided yet. And so without that information, without those rules, it's very hard for the stakeholders to be able to be in compliance by the end of this year. So this was a repetitive refrain of ours when we have discussed this either in our comment letters or in our in-person meetings. And I'm using in-person kind of in quotes here, our Zoom meetings with the folks from the agencies. 
from the Department of Labor, Treasury, HHS, just reminding them again that we support what they're trying to do. We want them to be successful. And these are all provisions that TIC was passed under the Trump administration. The CAA was passed under the Trump administration. And now the Biden administration is trying to write the rules for it. So these policies are are really kind of bridging the gap between the administrations. And we want to support both of them. But in order to be successful, there just needs to be more time and more information before the stakeholders can truly be able to put this in place. So we've asked in several areas if the deadline for implementation was not in the statute, because that's really hard to move when it's in statute, that means it was passed by Congress. If it was not in the statute, we have asked for regulatory delays for the agencies to put a delay in place. And then for those deadlines that are in statute, we asked either for a good faith effort, which means if you just try really hard, show that you're trying to be in compliance, that will count or a safe harbor, which means pretty much the same thing as a good faith effort or safe harbors sometimes that they're they're going to do a non-enforcement period even after the implementation date if that implementation date is in statute and the agencies can't move it. So those are all different options that we asked for. And those are all different options that we'll see when we go through the different aspects that were included in this FAQ from the Department of Labor. Other than the timeline, issue that we were heard on. It's also clear that another of our messages from our meetings and our letters was heard. And that is that there were some duplicative pieces from TIC and the CAA that either overlapped or kind of rubbed up against each other in the policy and implementation world, but they just didn't gel together either. The timeframes were off a little bit on implementation or the how of how they were going to be implemented was a little off. And it was kind of like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. They're both trying to get to the same goal, but it's just not aligning. And so that is something that is also acknowledged in this FAQ from the DOL, that there are are moving pieces here from TIC and the CAA that need to come together and work together, not just with the having the same dates for implementation, but also very similar rules and that need to be addressed by the agencies. So that was also a really important piece that we had been pointing out um, and trying to say like, hey, do you remember what you wrote in TIC? Let's make sure that we're looking at that while we're working on these CAA pieces. And with the results of the FAQ, it seems as though the agencies have acknowledged that as well. So going piece by piece here, starting with the CAA provisions that have been delayed, many of those provisions are in regards to reporting requirements, one requiring carriers and group plan sponsors to disclose detailed pharmacy benefits and more. Can you explain these provisions and what the guidance did? The pharmacy benefits is a great one to start off with, Dan, because it's a good example of part of what I was explaining earlier, where there were provisions under TIC that tried to attempt at some of this. And then we had more done in the CAA, but they just kind of didn't align together. So TIC tried to, or it did ask for some 
transparency in pharmaceutical costs. And then the CAA asked for employer or plan fiduciaries, which typically are the employers, to disclose a lot of this pharmaceutical information. And so the requirements didn't really jive together. And here they're attempting to allow for more time, which is exactly what we wanted, by delaying the implementation for the CAA requirements, which were those employer disclosure requirements on pharmaceutical benefits. And this would have required employers to disclose like the top 50 prescription drugs that are being prescribed in their group down to the number of pills that are being prescribed for each one. Also the cost and some of the cost analysis, the way that it was written up in the statute would be very difficult for employers to be able to provide. A lot of this would be very difficult for employers to provide because they don't own the data on some of these analytics. It's owned by the PBMs and the PBMs aren't necessarily required to disclose that to the employers, but the employers are the ones that are required to do it under the CAA. It's a big mess. Go back and listen to our podcast on the RFI for PBMs if you want more on on those details. But here, ultimately, with the information that we received from the Department of Labor last week, they are saying we, we are going to delay implementation on this until we have more rulemaking. So, so that is a good sign. That's really exactly what we wanted. We wanted more information on how this was going to happen, especially since there's that requirement on the employer to comply and provide information that the employer doesn't really own. So having this delay and knowing that there's more rulemaking is a big win for us. Another CAA provision impacted by these FAQs is the one requiring providers to offer insured individuals with a good faith estimate of expected charges, as well as an advanced explanation of benefits. Can you discuss this provision, what the implementation timeline looks like for it now? The advanced explanation of benefits is supposed to include the network status of the provider or facility, the contracted rate for the item of service, or if the provider or facility is not a participating provider or facility, a description of how the individual can obtain information on providers and facilities that are participating, the good faith estimate received from the provider, a good faith estimate of the amount the plan or or coverage is responsible for paying, and the amount of any cost sharing for which the individual would be responsible for paying with respect to the good faith estimate received from the provider, and disclaimers indicating whether coverage is subject to any medical management techniques. Again, here, there is, within the CAA, there's a requirement for providers to be able to give this to consumers within a certain amount of time prior to a service. There's also a section in the CAA that would allow consumers to request this even without having services scheduled which also could lead to a little bit of misinformation on exactly what the consumers are getting, especially if it's something where possibly the consumer is up at midnight on WebMD thinking they need a specific type of treatment plan, and they ask the plan provider for an advanced EOB to get that estimate of what the costs would be. Well, without knowing exactly what your situation is and having been treated by a physician, it's going to be 
hard to tell what that's going to be. And the consumer might end up getting something that is vastly different than what will be their end result when they do seek treatment by a healthcare provider. Um, so we had a lot of concerns about that, but also about the, the time frame for turnaround for advanced EOB and some of the other aspects and some of the other aspects of the accuracy for that estimate. Even though it is set to be a good faith estimate, so there is still some some room there that the provider and the plan issuer isn't tied to that number that they provide in an advanced EOB, there is still some concern there about accuracy. And so with the DOL FAQs that we received last week, it is continuing that good faith effort and allowing that to continue to be in place and really emphasizing the, the fact that plan issuers are able to utilize that good faith effort in their accuracy until rules are put into place. So we are going to expect more rulemaking here. And then we're under this kind of good faith effort blanket or safe harbor until we get those future regulations. And when they say this, this is that, you know, we want you to try, just go ahead and try to be in compliance and do your best. And then we'll provide you more information along the way. Now, returning to the tick. These FAQs specifically deal with the requirements that certain group plans and carriers publish machine-readable files of in-network reimbursement and out-of-network allowed amounts, billed charges, and prescription drug costs and pricing data, in addition to establishing an online price comparison tool for plan participants. So what do the FAQs say about these provisions? This was one of the provisions where we, we didn't get an arbitrary delay until rulemaking or non-enforcement until rulemaking, we did get a date on the machine-readable formatting, and it was changed from plan years beginning January 1 of 2022 to an enforcement deadline of July 1 of 2022. So we got a six-month extension on this. And with the machine-readable formatting, I think I I explained this at the, the beginning where there were a lot of concerns and are a lot of concerns that plan issuers just aren't able to comply with that at this time because of different technology. And then there are also some requirements that are overlapping between TIC and CAA, where some of the data that is needed needs to go from the plan issuer to the employer. And then the employer needs to report with the machine-readable files. And the way that all of this data is transferred between each other, I know I'm getting really into technical areas and many of us are not tech IT people. That's why we're in the benefits world. But the the kind of tech language that this data is sent in does not always translate between those different stops along the way. So it might be in one data kind of language. And again, obviously I'm simplifying this when it goes from issuer to employer, and then it would need to be translated into something that qualifies for that machine readable file to then be submitted. So a lot of different things that need to be processed to be able to comply with this. And then on top of that is that kind of disconnect that we have between TIC and the CAA. So having this additional six months is very helpful. 
Also because some of that information now that's being transferred as a requirement of the, these data elements under TIC is going to be needed eventually under the CAA for some of the disclosure requirements that are there. So that's the kind of the machine readable formatting. So we got an additional six month delay there. And then with that plan comparison tool, this is another area where this was focused on in TIC, but then there was another section in the CAA about how these plan comparison tools were going to work, tick focusing more on um, the issuer and the CAA focusing on employer responsibility. So taking this extra time to make sure that these can relate together and are not operating in kind of separate spheres of the transparency universe is what is going to be focused on here. And with the price comparison tools for those under tick, this is going to be a deferred enforcement until there are more rules available and until issuers are able to make the price comparison tools available. Although they do urge any plans that feel like they are able to go ahead and comply with this to do so. So allowing issuers that have done the work and encouraging them to go ahead and do the work to be able to make this available again, especially focusing on those issuer requirements under TIC and then the employer requirements are under the CAA. But at this first stage, the issuer requirements are probably a bit easier to comply with. And so for especially those larger carriers, they're encouraging them to go ahead and move forward with this, but that they will be providing more information. There is one provision of the CAA that I'm sure all of our members are anxiously waiting news on, and that is the provision on broker compensation disclosure. So have we received any updates on that? No, Dan, not yet. I know. I wish I could share other news with you all, but this FAQ was 11 pages long. Nowhere in it were agents and brokers mentioned. The agent broker compensation disclosure requirements were not included in the different items that were listed out here. So we are still waiting for more information on that. We will bring it to you as, as soon as we have it. The good news is we know that the agencies are interested in providing more guidance and information on the different aspects of the CAA, including the No Surprises Act, which is where the agent compensation disclosure was folded into. In the FAQs, they specifically talk about different surprise billing aspects and the fact that they've done part one of surprise billing and different parts are coming. So the good news is they are, are willing to do delays in enforcement until further rulemaking is made. We just need to wait until they specifically say our section is included in that. And we will provide that to you as soon as we get information on that. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we are toasting to the agencies, the Department of Labor, Treasury, and HHS for taking our comments into consideration and putting in place delays on enforcement so that when TIC and the CAA are ready to completely be implemented, that we're able to do so in the best interest of compliance and health insurance consumers. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. 
for more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.